Welcome to Seth Farbman on podcast from startup to stock exchange. Good morning and welcome back to the podcast, Startup to Stock Exchange. Uh, today, we have a fantastic guest and um, really, I think he's going to share with us a wealth of information on a variety of topics. And uh, I don't know if he knows this or not, but uh, we share we share something in common. We're both recovering lawyers. And uh, I think what I'm hoping he's going to share, I know how I got from a, being a recovering lawyer to where I am today, but I think it's going to be fascinating to hear how, where, how, how he got from where he is to being the CEO of a, uh, of a publicly traded company in the biopharma space. So it's going to be exciting to hear from David Lucci. Welcome. Um, he's the uh, CEO of Acurex Pharma, NASDAQ-listed company, ACXP. David, welcome. Thank you, Seth. Uh, thanks for having me today. Thanks for joining us. So um, I guess before we we backtrack into uh, how you got to where you are in the journey, why don't you tell us a little bit about the company today, um, what it is that you guys do? Sure. Um, so uh, we started Acurex Pharmaceuticals in February uh, 2018 to develop a brand new class of antibiotics called polymerase 3C inhibitors which inhibit the POL3C enzyme, which is the primary catalyst to build gram-positive bacterial cells. Uh, so we have a pipeline of two POL3C inhibitors right now, the first of which is in an exciting phase 2B clinical trial in patients with C. difficile infection. And we expect that to read out uh, mid-year, second half like that. Um, and that's a $1.7 billion market, an area of unmet medical need, according to the CDC. And it's a $1.7 billion market where the frontline therapy, oral vancomycin, is eminently vulnerable uh, because it has a very damaging impact on a patient's microbiome, uh, which leads to a 20 to 40% recurrence of infection along with a higher risk of uh, developing cancer, diabetes, and other diseases. Um, so we think that's a reason why several companies, including Pfizer and Sanofi, have uh, worked on developing uh, products that could potentially take that frontline moniker from oral vancomycin. They failed, thankfully. Um, and our data in phase 2A was lights out 100% cures and 100% sustained cures, which means no one got reinfected. Um, we're seeing microbiome uh, uh, pristineness. Uh, patients after three days of our medicine are redeveloping a fully restored microbiome. So we're able to patent that, and you know we're keeping it as uh, endpoints in our current and upcoming trials. Uh, because it's unusual for an antibiotic to not be disruptive and, in fact, to help uh, restore the uh, healthy functioning microbiome. I think, you know, it's, and, and it's, you know, even hearing you speak about this, you know, while a lot of it is, is of course, you know, very high level in terms of the, uh, the technical jargon, but, you know, anybody, anybody that's listening, I think would agree, you know, when you're talking about pharma, um, and especially in the category, I guess, of antibiotics and patents, you know, it's that that potential unknown that, that gets everybody excited, right? I mean, you talk about the category uh, of the market and the size, 
you know, in the billions and, you know, to be able to be able to crack into that, that potential is just, is just unbelievable. I had, I had a client one day, um, they had, uh, our phone was blowing up and, you know, FDA approval came in on something and stock went from, I think, $60 to $430 and people were exercising their warrants, blah, blah, blah. Like that's the Holy grail, right? That's what, that's what you hope for. And, um, really in that in that bio pharma space is is really where you can maximize that the the most um so so let's so now let's backtrack how how did you get into this you know i saw i saw and as i referenced earlier you've got the jd with your name not the md how'd you get into this medical world uh, well, it, it's interesting how it happened. I, I like to say, you know, uh, the good Lord did me a favor of sorts, although it didn't seem so at the time. Um, I was a lawyer at Battle Fowler uh, for yeah. close to eight years, worked with you a lot um, because I had a lot of public company representation, including pharma companies and biotech companies. Um, and around the year 2000, the law firm got bought out by Paul Hastings. Um, now, I had experienced um, when I was at Ernst & Young, uh, they bought a accounting firm called Laventhal, you know, many years prior uh, to, to, you know, before law school. And I saw as the Laventhal guys all had kind of a metaphysical L on their forehead. Nobody knew about their audit judgment. How well were they trained? You know, right. when do you think these guys are going to leave? You know, no one ever made partner from the Laventhal side. So when Paul Hastings, which had nothing in New York. And we had like 180 lawyers, um, and yet our team was going to be dominated by this L.A. law firm. I, you know, I smelled bad things coming. So right. one of my and also the partner track, uh, which had been eight years at Battle Fowler, became 13. And I was started to wonder, you know, my clock was was ticking. I wanted a family and things like that, right. having nothing to do with work. So long story short, um, you know, I, I my last client was. Um, uh, a company called Pathagon. It got sold to BioEnvision. Uh, my colleagues at Pathagon wound up on the board with two out of five board seats. Uh, BioEnvision was funded by Aisling Capital and had a, a visionary CEO that worked out of his home in England. And I became the guy, the, you know, the first employee in New York. And I set up the office, hired 65 guys. Five years later, we sold BioEnvision, uh, childhood uh, leukemia company. Uh, to Genzyme uh, for 345 million bucks. Wow. And at that point in time, I came to the realization that I could actually, instead of, you know, doing M&A deals from a law firm and making rich people richer, right. I could leave the world a better place than where I found it by, you know, kind of using my skills and at that point resource to develop, you know, antibiotics in our, in our case uh, and other drugs to treat uh, people and reduce human misery, make money along the way and, uh, and do a good thing. That's a, that's a great, uh, that's a great mission statement, reduce human, mis human misery and make money along the way. That's, uh, that's not a bad way to, uh, to go about day to day. Yeah. I mean, it sure be, you know, three all nighters in a row while, you know, the Kennedy family trust was selling, uh, their merchandise mark to Vornado and, right. you know, I was the guy in the in the boardroom making the least money and uh, and the only guy that was always there, you know, until everything was was buttoned up. So 
Well, you, you know, you've certainly uh, gone on and and to 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 uh, to focus on that mission. I mean, you know, we've definitely had on this program um, interviews with CEOs who have just just come out of the gate with an idea and and landed in the CEO seat. But but you've done it repeatedly. I mean, you know, Buy Envision, Access Pharma, Depexium Pharma, PLX Pharma, Curex Pharma. I mean, if there is a a CEO pharma guy with pharma in his DNA, it is you. Um, you clearly have a knack for this. Yeah, you know, I mean, how it how it like evolves over and over again is that there's uh, there's like a, a gap between research scientists at the, you know the nation's household name uh, research uh, centers like Emory, Duke, Stanford, in our case at Accurex University of Massachusetts, and they discover in our case antibiotics. They get NIH funding, other government, you know, grants, SBIR grants, and they take it only so far with a few million bucks or or whatever. And then they they just don't know how they try to get big pharma involved. Big pharma is not interested yet because there's no proof of principle in human trials. So they wind up, you know, their business development person searches out guys like me who put uh, uh, companies around these products and take, you know, de-risk the asset until you get into late stage clinical trials or beyond, and then find a big pharma partnership at, at an appropriate time for big pharma. So you know, that, that actually, you know, you raise a great point, which actually is something that's always um, fascinated me. And and I have the utmost respect for, for, for guys that are in your position. You know, everything that I've always touched is, I don't wanna say immediate gratification, but I'm a, I'm a services guy, right? You need you need your Edgar filing done. Boom, I file it, and and it's a tangible thing, right? A, a background check, a, a, you know, a transfer. I'm transferring a, a, a certificate. I'm charging you. It's it's visible. It's tangible. How do you have the patience to? It's the patience, the foresight to invest years and tens of millions of dollars, sometimes hundreds. In, in in betting on the future of what's going to come out years from now like how do you just have that it, you know patience is a nice word for it how do you how do you how do you have that mentality you know it's you know it's something that we're able to do based on you know um the confluence of our you know kind of vocational skill sets um so you know my partner is 1972 Pfizer uh, sales and marketing and product development has got a number of antibiotics approved. He leads our R&D. So we're kind of like the old Houston Rockets when they had Elijah Wan and Ralph Sampson, you know, at the same time, they called them the twin towers. Great so, analogy. you know, our, yeah. our org chart goes all the R&D side goes all the way through up to Bob. And I run the corporate side, having had typically five uh, public corporate clients at a time uh, when I was a, a lawyer and, you know, the CFOs I became friends with and anytime they opened the mail, they had an issue, they'd call me. So I, I just, I, I know the issues that are presented because I've seen them before in most cases. Um, and I, you know, all the M&A work and financing work that I've done, you know, it allows you to see what would be available in the future if you were to pursue your business plan. So all these things start with a business plan um, and then in, in the Acres case, uh, Bob and I traveled the country and followed up on inbound emails that we received while at Dipexium from research facilities saying, hey, you know, we see you guys uh, built a NASDAQ listed public company. 
raised a bunch of money and developed, you know, your product, would you be interested to look at our, you know, pipeline of antibiotics and see if you want to in-license something? Wow. Um, so we followed up on that and self-funded for the first year. And then we kind of went from there. And how do you, how do you, you, you had mentioned as a lawyer, you were juggling a couple of uh, public companies at the same time. You know, it's one thing to to juggle servicing com- public companies, right? I mean, great, big deal. We, you know, I service hundreds of public companies, but it's not as hard as servicing one public company like you do as the CEO. How do you find that that balance of of uh, the public side of things and the business side of things? Um, you know the you know, handling the shareholder side and the the cosmetic side, the compliance side, and hey, wait a minute, I also have a real business to run, and I've got to deal with employees and 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 focus on the end game. Yeah, it is more difficult being in a public vehicle um, because you know there's time deadlines, for example, uh, that you have to be mindful of. Uh, there's public disclosure requirements of what you can and can't say at various points in time. So it does make it more complicated, but we follow, you know, like a virtual business model. We have just four employees, although there are, you know, over a hundred consultants. And, you know, we don't want to become one of these antibiotics companies that in the last 10 years, you know, have kind of failed Uh, because, you know, like say like a Kaogen in South San Francisco, they had hundreds of employees um, and virtually no revenue with 30 million a quarter in uh, cash burn, you know, we just don't want to do that. And, you know, if we had all of our, say, 150 consultants be employees, once we're done with the clinical trials to get our lead drug uh, approved for C. diff, what are we going to do with those folks? It almost, you know, becomes something that you just have to continually feed with more product pipeline. We're building this thing, you know, to kind of sell it, you know, um, so, you know, I'm an M&A lawyer, as you know, as soon as we can partner after our phase 2B, um, our goal is to do it uh, with what is excellent data in hand, and we hope we'll continue. Um, and on a parallel track, we'll prepare for phase three uh, while we're exploring strategic alternatives. And and um, if I'm correct, you went public uh, around June of 2021, so it's been about two years. Um, what was that process like? Was that like um, the hardest thing ever? What did you do? You know, is it that typical story of, well, we had 999 no's until we found the one guy that was willing to bet on us? Or or did you have your choice of, of underwriters and, and it was the right place, right time, right story, and, and, and the decision was yours? What was that that path to IPO like? You know, we've we've done it a few times now. And I got to tell you, this one was the most difficult Really? We didn't have a bevy of underwriters. I have a lot of friends that are bankers. Um, sure. But um, with the limited data that we had at the time, um, we found Alexander Capital willing to take us out. Um, we wound up, thankfully, being, you know, over 40% oversubscribed, um, you know, it, but it was a retail-oriented deal. And, uh, you know, we felt very, very lucky that we got out. Um, since then, we did a registered direct in July of uh, 22, bringing in an old friend from Armistice Capital as our uh, institutional investor uh, of, of any size. 
Right. And, uh, you know, that, that was a much better process. But, you know, the bankers we're working with now, um, Maxim Group, Alliance Global Partners, um, H.C. Wainwright, they're high quality and they do a lot of work in the microcap uh, biotech or biopharma sure. space. Got it. But yeah, that, um, that was tough. The, the last one was much easier at Dipexium. Interesting. And, and um, you know, since you've done this a couple of times over the uh, over the last decade or two, how do you find the uh, the, the science uh, part of it is, um, you know, is the technology making the uh, the biotech side of things easier? Is it uh, is it no different, more challenging? No, you know, the, the science is uh, it's not I wouldn't say it's more challenging, but there's better ways to do things. There's this computational chemistry that folks are, are using now. So whereas there used to be like, you know, a bunch of kind of nerdy scientists in a lab with beakers and mixing right. things up and stuff like that. Right. And all that's gone. That's like, that's like nineties. Um, now they do, you know, they, they keep all of their data on the computer and they constantly update their data and they do uh, computational models for using what they call ADME properties to try to uh, fortify and make uh, the most robust, uh, in our case, antibiotic that they can so that it will withstand uh, things like toxicity issues and solubility and absorption uh, while getting the right concentration to the site of the infection, you know, kind of, they call that hitting the therapeutic index. So the science has gotten a little bit easier and, and quicker uh, the clinical trials, you know, now you know, because of COVID, um, the, the clinical trial enrollment has been our, our uh, key issue uh, to try to address, and we're continuing to to wrestle with that one. And and obviously, you've been at this a long time, but did you? Everything on the medical side is it seems is is self taught. Obviously, you're a smart guy. You've you know Ernst and Young. You've got the accounting side and the legal side, Paul Hastings, and all that, but. You know, you, you totally self-taught yourself uh, all, all the medical uh, information. Um, did you find that to be challenging? Do you have a knack for it? You know, uh, you know, I, you know the the flowery way to you know, I, I could say I, I did a lot of these kind of you know science-oriented healthcare deals at my law firm. I could tell you that I was the Free Law Society president at Bucknell. I was the managing editor of the Journal of Science and Technology in law school. You're hired. <laughs> you know, all those things. But really, the, the, at the end of the day, what it was, necessity is the, is the, is the thing that drives everything. Fear. Uh, like for a young guy as an auditor at Ernst & Young, they would send me to a client by myself as a right. first year with a trunk of last year's audit papers. <laughs> and they would tell me to understand this. You know, I remember that one of them was an energy company, Alfaquitaine. Understand this business, um, come up with some management letter comments, see how they can do their business better than they're doing it now. Right. And, you know, this is like a massive French oil and gas company. And I'm like a 22-year-old guy <laughs> without any you know, supervision. And, you know, and, let, and let's clarify, there was no YouTube back in the day for you to just, you know, watch a video <laughs> on how to, how to do a 10 K. Right. No, you know, so you got to teach yourself and it's, it's really the best way you get whatever help you can get in life, but uh, you got to be self-motivated. If you're not self-motivated, you can't do, you know, kind of what great. we do. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that's kind of, you know, how it was. I, I, I did it because I had to. 
Right, right. And um, and let me ask you, David, just to to wrap things up. I mean, not um, not to disclose anything that uh, that you can't talk about. What's what's on the horizon that's exciting for uh, for the company that uh, that we could look forward to? Well, you know, of course, there's the flip of the card, as I call it, the uh, top line data readout from our phase two B trial. We did set up an independent data monitoring committee. Okay. And in, order, in the first quarter, in order to look at the uh, the unblind un and look at the data, uh, so we can release it. Um, okay. Beyond that, we have uh, we've applied for a Carbex grant, and we expect to hear any day now. It would be about eleven point three million dollars uh, non dilutive if we get it, uh, and it would put our second program, which is targeting the treatment of MRSA infections, uh, which is more than half of all infections in U.S. hospitals, um, it would put it on a five-year program to get it right to the start of phase two. So that's coming up. And there's also a second phase of a contract with the Dutch government, uh, which would fund us another $800,000 potentially um, for a, a second stage of their mechanism of action research that they're doing on our behalf. Uh, with Leiden University Medical Center in Holland. Um, if we get that particular uh, non-dilutive money, um, that will really help uh, with the mechanism of action work so folks can understand exactly how our POL3C inhibitors work. Um, they being the first new class of antibiotics in over 30 years, that, that's a big thing. Wow. And that's, that's actually pretty, pretty uh, uh, interesting because I don't think, at least for myself, I don't always um, keep in mind the, uh, the worldwide element, uh, especially when you talk about antibiotics, right? I mean, you, you always, uh, I, I'm very often limited to the United States opportunity. And then here you're mentioning all these uh, foreign opportunities in terms of funding and grants and helping people, um, you know, that really uh, expands on the opportunity. Um, well, well, listen, David. I uh, obviously we uh, we go way back, but I hope that you'll come back in uh, six months or twelve months, eighteen months with uh, some updates, and um, we're excited to see where uh, where things progress. I would be delighted, and uh, as always, uh, thank you very much for uh, the opportunity today. My pleasure, David. Thanks for joining, and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Okay. Cheers. Take care.